welcome to the fifth episode of Tell Us with me Gaia as your host. All around the world we see the result of mankind's lost connection with nature. We have moved so far away from the wild and many people don't seem to know how fast and easy ecosystems are destroyed, both on land and in waters. The forever chase for economic growth has made us lost and we seem to have forgotten a bit about ourselves and where we came from. But how do we turn this sinking ship around? Because in the end, humans will not survive in a world that is stripped from life. I believe we need to remember who we are and start reconnect on an emotional and logical level to nature in order to understand what we need to do next. This problem won't be fixed by calculating continuous growth at the same time as protecting the earth. The value needs to come from somewhere else. In today's episode, I'm talking with Andris, the bird whisperer. He's a man who spent more time in the forest than most Western people ever do. This has given him a deep sense of connection and knowledge about nature. He's probably most known from Swedish TV for imitating birds at Sweden's Got Talent. But this man has so much more important knowledge to share than only his beautiful voice. Welcome to this episode of Tell Us. Hi and welcome to the program, Andres. Thank you. So lovely to have you here. <laughs> so lovely to have you here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We are actually in this beautiful forest uh, in Jana and sitting next to this really, really beautiful river or what do you say? Stream. Or, I stream. Would say, stream. It's a small one. Yeah. Stream. Stream or creek. Yeah, a creek. Yeah. Yeah, it's so beautiful and it's uh, it's the best place to have an interview in, I, I believe. Yeah, it's a, a relaxing place to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and many people know you from TV uh, as uh, Andres the Bird Whisperer. Yeah, and me. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you, you're known to communicate with birds and uh, animals. And uh, yeah, I think I think as people know mostly the the bird imitations that I do. Yeah. But it's like only a small part of what I do. Yeah, I was just uh, about to say that, that that's just a tiny bit of, yeah. <laughs> of who you are and, and what all the things that you, you know about and, and sharing as well. So I was thinking we should dive more into the other stuff today yeah, <laughs> yeah. rather than focusing sure. only, <laughs> only on that. So uh, for, for the biggest part of uh, your life, I understood that you spent a lot of time in nature yeah, you say so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also chose a quite uh, different lifestyle compared to many others, Western people anyway. Yeah, you can say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I just uh, wanted to start off asking, like, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey and why you chose the lifestyle you did and how that had an effect on you? Yeah, I think... I mean, I grew up in a quite small village, so the forest was like always nearby and anyway. And I don't know when it started. It's like often I have this feeling that I'm like born with just a deep, deep desire to connect with animals. Yeah. And this was, my parents often told me like whenever there was an animal around, even when I was really like a toddler, like they just couldn't get any contact with me. Because because yeah. I was so focused on the animal that I didn't see my parents anymore. Wow. <laughs> I didn't care about my parents when, as soon as there was an animal around. Mm. Uh, and it's been like that. Like As a child, I was like just super nerdy and wanted to find out everything there was to know about different animals and mm. you know, really checking facts and yeah. getting to know things and watching a lot of nature documentaries rather than watching cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, as I grew older, I started going more and more out into the forest by myself. Mm. Not that my parents really taught me how to do this. I just like had such a strong desire to connect with the animals that I just went out on my own. Yeah. And uh, especially as a teenager, then, and I was really getting to know the habits of different animals in the region. And mm. I learned like tracking mostly by myself okay. without having any human teachers. Wow. And just like observing the tracks I saw and observing the animals, how do they move, how do they behave in the landscape, how do they behave with each other, mm. how do they react to me, and uh, just testing things out for quite many mm. years. Yeah. So it was like whenever I was not in school, I was just in the forest. Mm. So when school finished, yeah. I went to the forest, or 
soon as there was days without school, I just went in the early mornings and went out into the forest. Wow. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, then yeah. I kind of started just to to build this like relation to to them and going so deeply into this feeling of there is a, there is something bigger, like a bigger purpose with what I'm doing here and with this interaction with the forest and the animals living in it. Yeah. It was like it was awakening a feeling of deep purpose within me and uh, a feeling of of deja vu almost like you. It's like I remember myself being in this environment. I remember myself interacting with these animals, but like in a different time. Yeah. And it was... Uh, fascinating and surrealistic in, to begin with and I didn't understand why these things memories were awakened in me mm. but it, it set me on this course to really see the world which I had supposed to grow up in mm. how it just didn't fit and mm. everything seemed so weird more and more all the time and like realizing I never actually fitted in this world yeah. I never even had a desire to. And it just became clearer when I started seeing these memories coming up from like living in this ver- dif- this environment in a different time. Mm. And like, okay, my ancestors did not live in a, this kind of modern civilization. Mm. And I felt like I was connecting with my ancestral lineage in a way and just seeing this, is, this world is completely fucked up. Well, I don't want to live in this system. I want to live in the wild. Yeah. And I was like wondering where did all the wild people go from this <laughs> land? They're not nowhere to be seen anymore. Yeah. And I started to miss, miss my ancestors in a way. Mm. But it was then I just started to decide like, okay, I'm not going to stay here. I'm quitting school and I will start learning how to live with the wild. I just didn't want to be a part yeah. of the system anymore. Yeah. I have a feeling that there is quite a few people around the world that feel that they feel a bit misplaced in these mm. modern times, but many of them doesn't know what to do about it and maybe yeah. don't also have the um, opportunity to be close to nature. And yeah. therefore it's even harder to, to know that maybe that could be the solution for someone to to help them, like finding a... Not that everyone has the purpose, maybe, of finding like the the one that you have, but but at the same time, we are coming from this earth, yeah. and uh, this is our 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 home uh, and the home of our ancestors yeah. for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. And, it's um, about connecting to to our truth yeah. about what we are, because we've been brought up into a system which doesn't acknowledge our. Our, tr- our true selves as biological mm. beings. Yeah. <laughs> we are supposed yeah. to live in an interconnectedness with everything else that mm. is alive. Every single species around us, every single tree, every single mo- piece of moss and lichen, everything has a place, everything has yeah. a relation to everything else that is alive. Mm. Like even, even the wolves that live in that roam these forests, they have connectedness to this moss here. Yeah in ways that we can barely even understand. Yeah. But we can feel it in a way. Exactly. That everything is depending on everything else. Mm. And so our modern society is built on this illusion that we are separated. Yeah. That we are something else than nature. Mm. That we are that we can stand above nature and we can control nature and decide what's gonna happen with it. Yeah. Without it affecting us. And and that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that is the biggest illusion. <laughs> yeah, that is the biggest illusion in the world. Yeah. And without it, our modern society wouldn't be able to exist. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And it's in a way, it's almost like when you're saying the, the interconnectedness uh, that we have and the nature have in itself between different species. It's almost like we, we're trying to make up an uh, artificial interconnectedness separated from mm. the biological one that we already have yeah like we're, <laughs> we're searching for something yeah. out there to get connection but the connection has always been here uh, yeah and uh, we're and creating a fairy tale instead of seeing what is real <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah 
and um, it might hurt when we start to realize those things but I think it's one of the most important things to to realize that this is like the earth we we wouldn't be able to breathe or even exist in in any kind of level without the earth supporting us and mm. and the biodiversity and the the ecosystem there yes yeah it's the fundamentals <laughs> <laughs> it's fundamentals but still seems not ma- to be majority of people today don't get to understand it just to to uh, to mention a bit about what uh, was the reason behind uh, getting all these animal sounds and bird sounds what was the start of wanting to to learn those things yeah it's like as a teenager when i as i shared before when i was really starting to interact with different wild animals and and see them it was as um, well the sounds specifically was like mostly the birds to begin with it was really like I have a thing for for sounds in mm-hmm. general, like same same with mu- as with music, but with the bird sounds. Like when I hear a bird sound, I hear every single little distinct tone that is involved in the bird sound. Mm-hmm. So I just started like randomly experiment, you know, and see what I could do myself. When I heard a bird, it was also a way for me to start to learn all the different bird species by sound. Yeah. Then I started be- realizing, oh, I can actually imitate this sound, and I started practicing, and I started applying it to more and more bird species mm. and just for most of many years it was just like something that I knew that yeah. I could do like I wasn't sharing it with other people it was more like my thing and uh, but it's also connected to this feeling of uh, maybe 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 different tribes people will call it like shape-shifting mm. it's like you enter the other creature that you're encountering you're en- it's like you're entering its field of energy in a way yeah. its field of being so when I meet a wild animal I feel like that animal mm. in a way I don't know it's something that I had since I was a child my yeah. parents always had to, was telling me like oh stop behaving like a chi- uh, like an animal because I was always <laughs> behaving like different animals I was always inspired by every animal I saw and then I started being like that animal oh. it just happens naturally Mm. I start to really come into the consciousness of that being. Oh. For me, this is natural. Yeah, it just I can't stop it. It just happens. And it's a beautiful gift, uh, I would say, to to be able to understand uh, other species and and yeah. uh, their relation to each other, maybe as well. And, yeah, it's like uh, it's, it becomes a deep communication, mm. which is not based in words, yeah. not even in the sounds. It's like we just feel each other's mm. energy field, so yeah. to say. So the more I connect with the wolf, for instance, I just feel like I become like a wolf and the wolf starts to feel even more comfortable around me because yeah. they, they know that I know, yeah. so to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think when, when you experience that kind of connection, it brings uh, such a more deeper meaning to life. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here without it. Yeah. It's like this. This this con- deep connection with wild animals was what kept me alive. Because when mm. I was younger, I didn't want mm. to connect with people. I just felt like people are sick. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Mm. And I survived because I connected with the animals. Yeah. And you lived for quite a long time out in the forest by yourself as well. Well, as a teenager, it was more like I spent most of my waking time in the forest, but I didn't mm. know, you know, to begin with how to survive or what to eat mm. in the forest, except for the berries, you know, like most people learn. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I, I started out with being very connected to it, but not like physically spending all my time there. Mm. But after I quit in school, I got more and more into this and starting like more and more to sleep out in the forest as well see what happens at night when I'm mm. just there and uh, yeah then it's been on this journey and I found more people that are into primitive living and so on and learning from them and maybe learning from each other so to say and yeah. so in a way in the last few years I have had quite long periods when I've lived mostly outside mm. and eaten maybe 50 to 80 percent in the summer my, my food has oh. been from the forest for instance oh. uh, 
and uh, I feel often more connected when I also eat from the land. Yeah. Whether it's vegetables you grow on your own land or if it's plants that grow mm. in the forest, it's like I I take in take them in myself when I eat them. Yeah. So it's like they give me information from this landscape, from this earth. Mm. So I feel more connected the more I eat that kind of foods as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's maybe a little. Now we're going to. Well, it, everything is connected, of course. But the way we went out a bit of track from this, uh, how I started making the bird sounds but yeah that's yeah, but like that's, uh, that's natural <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's uh, yeah it's like um, everything is interconnected anyway hmm. as nature is yeah definitely but yeah that's maybe say how it started and it's about, a lot about this mm. deeper communication and so when i imitate a bird sound i usually feel like that bird yeah simply i connect to to that bird so in a way the consciousness of that bird enters me you mm. may say so when I imitate the call of a blackbird, like then I, I, I feel that I have a beak and I see the dark eyes and the black feathers and wings and the feet that's holding on to the tree branch. I feel all of these things naturally inside myself whenever I imitate the bird sound. It might be hard to explain for someone who doesn't really understand uh, this concept or maybe some people would find it like you know super superstitious or something but oh. for me it's yeah. like this is what i've done all my life yeah i just feel as if there was not really a barrier between me and mm. other living creatures that's amazing i'm thinking as well that there is something very unique and special that we humans have as a gift if we want to we can work our way to uh, try to understand other species and also that knowledge that we we can be that communication between people and nature yeah and i mean that's like in a way that's like the fundamentals of a shaman or yeah, a spiritual yeah. teacher in a way that that you're bridging worlds so to say mm. bridging the world between the people and the spirit world or as we now need in our society today the bridge between the natural world and the human world mm. which originally was one and the same but mm. because we as a species have drifted so far from our origin we need this bridging back to 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 the the wild yeah yeah and so mm. so to say as i see it that all these living creatures around us all the birds all the animals the trees the water they all have like a message for us yeah so it's like i want to see my role as a messenger in this and just bringing the the knowledge and understanding from from the wild into the people because the people needs it now yeah definitely more than ever yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. in these times yeah and that brings us uh, on to the next question actually because what do you think is the most important thing that we as humans need to do to be able to to change this way of living i mean I think most people on this planet can agree with that we are on the track that is not really seem to looking so good if we continue down this track. So we need yeah. to like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take a, a different direction and uh, yeah, I would what? say there's need for quite a radical uh, mm. uh, turn of direction. Well, first of all, we start have to start looking outside of the of the illusion, so to say. Mm. See the world outside this box that we create around ourselves. Mm. And a good start is just to interact with nature, whatever nature you have around you. Like to start to really study it and start going into it, yeah. and like trying to see it with for what it is and not uh, through mm. the judgment of our minds too yeah. much. To come back into into the heart feeling of of seeing that this other being that I'm looking at, it's not, it's not mm. like, it's not an animal or how people usually classically see it in society. <laughs> it's like almost with the perspective that this is like a robot that's just steering itself and it's like mm. a thing. They're not a thing, they are individuals. And seeing mm. like that this, this bird here or this, uh, this tree here, it's, uh, it has a soul, it has a spirit, it has a consciousness just like I have. Mm. that seeing that there is not so much difference starting to see that is a very important beginning mm. and 
Because when we do realize these things, that's when we really start to understand what we have to do. Yeah. And then we have to start creating more like alternative food systems. We need to start protecting whatever is there. We have to stop this, you know, mm-hmm. mad machine who's just going around to make money for some people. Yeah. And I mean, like, you can't make a transition without some people losing some money. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, the yeah. whole system is built <laughs> on destruction of the natural world. Yeah. So to change this, we also have to change the complete, completely the money system. Yeah. We can't have a system that is based on continuous growth yeah. of, of money. We can't have a system that is based on that a few people is going to have more resources than others. Mm. And also seeing the earth and the uh, nature as some other value than money. Mm. Uh, and not only that money should have value, but also other things in, uh, in this world needs to have a value as it is and not as the end product. Uh, yeah, in, exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. As a, for instance, just if we just look at this forest, for instance, like mm. maybe um, someone who's in the in the logging industry would would look at it from the persp- this, look at this forest value from how much money you can get from the timber. Yeah. But when I go into forests like this, then I'm more like looking at at like okay, what kind of value does this have for biodiversity, for instance? Like, mm. what qualities does this landscape have for? different species and for the multitude of life mm. that can it can sustain yeah and that's the the value i mostly see when i go into a forest because what, what i realized in in the, in studying ecosystems on my own is that it is biodiversity itself that is the the motor for biodiversity mm. so it's like every single species like i said before has its role and this role might create niches for other species. Mm. Well, if we take like big animals, like uh, let's say European bison or something, which is now extinct in Sweden, yeah, uh, like it has a, such a huge impact on its landscape when it's like you know browsing and grazing and mm. pooping and whatever it does in its everyday life. Yeah. But all these actions create like ripple effects where there is open niches for a lot of species. There's a lot of plants mm. that needs these grazed grass areas. Mm. There is a lot of species that need that, that they keep a landscape open and not grows over with shrubs and trees. Yeah. And there's so many insects that depend on these flowers and there's so many mm. insects that depend on the dung of the animal. Yeah. And then uh, there's so many birds that depend on these insects and so many predator birds that can live on these birds. And these birds have all their little key roles in spreading seeds of different wow. bushes and trees. Like you see, it's like it's just around network. one species is a whole network. Yeah. So if you take that species out of the system, mm. it means that all the other links are going to be weaker yeah. in the system. Mm. So if, for instance, you're lacking some species in an ecosystem, mm. this means like bringing those species back could also increase a lot the all other life that is in this area so usually a species has been living in the same system for you know thousands or millions of years even they've been like Mm. co-evolving with other species so what we need to do is to bring back these species that has been lost from an ecosystem so Mm. that the natural sort of processes can kick in yeah and that's when you start to see uh increasing both in the number of species and the number of of uh, existing individuals of mm. different species. Yeah. So like, if you look at the forest today, and if we would compare even this forest, it's quite a nice forest. Mm. If you compare it to uh, a forest ecosystem in like in Stone Age, yeah. it's probably a massive difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like this forest is almost dead mm. comparison to what the Stone Age forest would have been because yeah. there were so many more species in it mm. that were supporting so many other species. Yeah that it was like a huge richness both in yeah in the amount of species and the amount of individuals mm. like just imagine if you go into a tropical rainforest you're oh, yeah. constantly bombarded mm. with sounds of birds and insects and there's mm. colorful variety there's like something moving behind every branch you know yeah this is how it was in the <laughs> swedish forest also originally yeah <laughs> because 
when the ecosystems, all pieces are in place, mm. then there is the maximum amount of life. It's going to be there. The thriving. <laughs> yeah, that's when you, everything is thriving. Yeah. And my vision is to see how people can find their role in this system and mm. be also part of creating the systems. Yeah. And then that means we have to be very conscious about both, like how the ecosystem works. Mm. From a scientific perspective, we could use that. Like we know that this species interacts with this species. So if I do this action in the forest, it will have this effect on all these species. Mm. So like to be conscious about this at the same time as we have a consciousness of the heart, where we can also understand in a deeper perspective, what does this land want from mm. me? What, how can I serve this land? Yeah. Not just take. Exactly. How can I serve this land and get so much in return? I think that is uh, one of the most important views to have because we have been taking and taking and taking and taking and, and it's it's almost like a sickness. Yeah, um, it is. <laughs> it is yeah, <laughs> and uh, like many um, uh, indigenous people around the world have in their traditions that you need to give back in order to mm. receive. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and. To, to get people to understand that when we give from the heart, we will receive mm. more abundance than, than we, uh, what we understand from this system that we work in today. Because yeah. when you take and take and take, it will be an end of it. Um, but as, uh, when you start to give back and uh, give in the first place and then receiving, then you have a totally different mm. cycle and thriving potential. Yeah. <laughs> then you are part of creating this mm. abundance of yeah. life. Then you're not separated anymore. Yeah, that should be the focus. <laughs> yeah, that's when we become indigenous for real, as I would say it. Mm. For me, that is to belong with the land. Mm. That means that we, we in understand that we are an intrinsic part of this, everything around us. And we are interacting with the ecosystem. Mm not just seeing it as something outside of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to um, to ask you a question because loads of things are happening in Sweden quite rapidly now, mm. uh, especially when it comes to the forest. And I wanted to, to ask you how, how is your experience from spending a lot of time in Asia since you were a kid? What are the, the changes you have seen foremost mm. during this time? Or have you seen any? <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I mean, like, for me, that was like, it, it st and still is a very, very big pain in, mm. in my system, in my body, in my mind, in my heart. Uh, when I was a teenager and I felt like I was building very strong, like a soul connection with the, the land around me, with the forest, with the meadows, with the lakes and the streams and the different animals that lived there. It was like I was naturally starting to rebuild this uh, co connection that our ancestors had with the land. Mm. And, and then I had to witness majority of these forests being cut down. And what's happening then when they cut it down, they destroy everything that lives on a certain area. Mm. Every single little insect and, and uh, shrews and... Uh, birds and mosses and lichens and fungi, all these species that are part of this forest network are just being wiped out. It is, mm. it is a, a genocide that you're doing towards yeah. all species when you clear cut the forest. And after that you replace it with straight lines of trees that are having no connection to the original forest that was there. Mm. They are outside of the functioning system. Mm. You're creating this sterile monoculture where almost nothing lives. Mm. And I've just seen this happening since I was a teenager so much. So the forests, like, even though the forests were not, like, you know, untouched when I was a teenager either. No. They were also, you know, had been affected by previous logging and so on. Mm. But the now it's catching so much speed that... Mm. It's like the last little remnants that have somewhat similarity to a real functioning forest mm. are disappearing really, really fast. Yeah, you can wipe up a to totally like a, um, a full forest in uh, in a day. 
and what's happening what's happening then is that you're losing well you're going into what some people call shifting baseline syndrome yeah it means that your baseline for what the real forest is is disappearing mm. because yeah. there is no most people don't have a connection to what the real forest would look like mm. because they can't see it anywhere around them so then they start thinking like oh a normal forest is this plantation that yeah. i have in front of me but that is so far from a real forest yeah and even though I have only a few times seen real untouched forests in my life, because they are hard to find these days. Mm. But for me, it's also these memories that came up in me when I was young. Yeah. was also in a way showing me how real forests were. It was like I could mm. see in my own, in my, in my mind, I could see how the real forests once looked like. Yeah. It's like the memories of it still exists in those somewhat old forests that exist. And when you cut down those, you're losing the connection to what was. Yeah, definitely. And there was, I mean, back when they did logging before, they wouldn't have the machines to yeah. go in in this rapid time. And and it there took, was took also... It took a while to destroy a forest it, it back did. in the days. <laughs> yeah. And even though they, they took it down back then as well, when the, the industrial revolution, like that era, it was still... Um, some knowledge kept as well like what kind of tree you can take down and what to leave and but that knowledge is totally like gone <laughs> it feels like in yeah it's been more and more like you know speeding up the profit yeah it's not even focused on you know quality these mm. days it's more like we want money Quantity. fast yeah so those new trees that grow up in the plantations the, the wood quality would be so poor yeah compared to what was before yeah. because the trees have not grown up in a natural way no and it's all most yeah. of the times it's yeah. like maybe modified and uh, yeah. fast growing so yeah they're like the chickens in the in the, in the meat industry yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these trees <laughs> yeah it goes through our our um, system overall like you can see it everywhere mm. but that and especially since I've been focusing on bird sounds, as yeah. <laughs> most people know, uh, I've noticed a huge loss of birds. Okay. Only since I was a teenager, like in the last 15 years, I've just seen a huge mm. drop in birds. I mean, like I can even look at the first videos I have from mm. my first camera when I got the camera. Yeah. With the first video takings I have from wild animals then, in the background, I always hear so much bird calls, like so mm. much, it's like this crescendo of bird sounds, especially in the spring and summer. Yeah. And I just compare it with being out in spring and summer now, and there's so much less birds. Yeah, silent. There's like so much less species and so much less individuals as well. Mm. And it's usually just a few species that dominate. and. Yeah. And those species are the ones that are the least sensitive. I mean, like mm. the blackbird can adapt to many different types of forest and they can adapt to live close to human settlements. And, mm. and the robin it just needs any kind of bush or trees to have its nest and can find eat almost any types of insects that it finds and even berries and stuff. So yeah. you, find, you, you have this reduction of species. Mm. So in the end, you just have left those few species that can survive almost anything. Yeah. But this huge diversity of birds is gone. Yeah. So many species, they just can't live in this world that is being created. Mm. They need their really old forest. They need all this functioning uh, system. I think that's, um, that's something I personally experienced a lot as well. Uh, is the birds uh, especially you're having quiet forests now yeah because we we have a house a family house in lapland and and uh, it used to be so full of life it was always a lot of birds and animals as well and uh, every evening you could hear or night time you could hear the black throated loon or mm. it's called um yeah. and then um, of course it's um it's the lands are harvests many many times <laughs> mm. and uh, when i went there last year it was totally silent like the forest it was these long lines and i couldn't even see a single ant next to me mm. and it was like that pain as well to see 
something that was so thriving when I was a kid and I was playing in those forests and suddenly it's just empty. Mm. And it's uh, and it's because it's like now it's grown and um, since since I was small they of course have cut it down and planted new trees. But for example I don't, I don't hear the loon uh, anymore in that particular place uh, which I was was always and one of the best memories I have from from my childhood, mm. uh, sitting up in the in the night time and hearing it, and now it's it's nothing, mm. and that is um, really really sad. Yeah, and that's what I also mean is the danger with the shifting baseline syndrome. Mm. I mean, both with people that are growing up in cities and don't really have a connection to to mm. to nature, but also just the new generations growing up who. Who like their their baseline of what a forest is, yeah. as I said before, will be these sterile plantations without any life in it. Almost, mm. that's what they think a forest is. Mm. But for our Stone Age ancestors, a forest was completely different. Mm. People don't have the relation to what has we been, yeah. and so we're losing something really strongly there. Like mm. we're losing the connectedness. Yeah. I think that's, uh, and that make, makes it even more important to talk about these things, to give people yes. perspective and, mm. yeah. For for someone like you who spend a lot of time in nature, and I, I know you had some really interesting meetings with animals, what would you say is um, the most exciting experience you've had? Well, I remember one very clearly, which which is a really strong one, even though it was actually not a moment when I did see the wolf, but it was very strong in another sense. Uh, it was in January and it was no snow, since mm. we barely have snow yeah. anymore <laughs> these winters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was just out there on a pine ridge above a forest lake and uh, sitting around the fire, drying my socks since they've been wet from the day and cooking food, eating and uh, laying down in my sleeping bag a little bit because I had heard wolf howls in the distance the night before. So I decided to to try and give a howl there later in the evening to just see if I could hear something. And so I sent out a howl over the landscape from this pine ridge and not a sound, it was all silent. Tried again, still silent. So eventually I gave up and walked down towards where my sleeping bag was. And when I'm halfway down to my sleeping bag, all of a sudden a howl comes at me, just like 30 meters away in the oh. darkness. Like... <sighs> and then it howls again. And then I hear the footsteps of the wolf as it moves away in the dark. Wow. And I'm like, wow. How long was he watching me? It means like the wolf must have been like sitting there watching me up on the pine ridge when I was standing there howling. And he must have been like, huh? <laughs> I was wondering what was what went through the mind of the wolf when yeah. he saw me howl. Wow. It's like he, he's a human, but he's seeing that I'm howling like a wolf. Yeah. And then when I was on my way to, to go down, then he's announcing his presence, like howling back at me, like, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> And wow. uh, the confirmation yeah. on. And I was like wondering, like, maybe he was even sitting there studying me when I was sitting around the fire, because I'd heard the warning call of a fox like uh-huh. an hour before, when I was still sitting around the fire, and I was didn't think so much more about it then. Mm-hmm. But maybe I mean the fox probably called out because the wolf was nearby. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> That's really amazing. Like I know this is a very sensitive subject to, especially here in the Nordic countries, but I think mm-hmm. around the world, yeah. <laughs> um, because there are very divided opinions about uh, if the wolf should exist or not, or how it should exist. And should, should not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, but I, I wanted to to ask you, like, what would you say is the biggest myth about the wolf? Yeah, it would be that they are so dangerous to people, especially. Mm. I mean, like, they are very strong predators. I mean, physically, they are very capable of killing humans. Yeah. 
But deers are physically very capable of killing humans also. Mm. Humans are very weak physically, <laughs> <laughs> at least humans of today. Yeah. But it's like they don't see humans as prey. Mm. I mean, theoretically they could do, but they don't do that today. And if they would, then we would only be in danger if we are civilized humans. Yeah. <laughs> because we have lost our connection. I mean, like mm. when I was in Africa, it was like, the sun people, like even their children, yeah. they knew how to scare away lions. Oh, wow. They are a lot more dangerous to people than wolfies. Yeah. yeah. So the people are afraid of wolves. Mm. Like, it's like today, these days in Sweden, there's been a lot of these incidents where people are afraid of, if they've seen a wolf near a village, for instance, and mm. then people are terrified. Oh, it's going to eat my children and so on. And it's like, usually it's like a young wolf puppy, like mm. less than a year old or something. It's just know just wandered off from its pack and it's a bit lost and like just curious about what's what's this this place and yeah yeah wolves are curious beings they want to learn mm. they want to study they study us in a way yeah <laughs> <laughs> but mm. usually they're just killed because people are afraid yeah and i mean like that's because people have lost the touch with their own wildness mm. the wolf has become a very strong symbol for the wild for the untamed and I mean that's even but no matter if you're someone who loves wolves or if you claim that you fear or hate wolves mm. it is the same symbol it has yeah. the symbol of the wild so it's all about how you relate to the wild yeah. in yourself if you have suppressed the wild in yourself a lot if you fear your wildness if you f mm. if you or feel hatred towards your wildness that's what you're going to feel towards the wolf because mm. the wolf is your mirror the wolf is reflecting to you how your relation is to your own wellness. Mm. So for me, who has maybe connected a lot with my wildness since I've been honoring that side of myself, living with the land quite a lot. So for me, I just feel a strong honor yeah. when I meet the wolf. Like I feel, wow, I'm, I'm really on the right track here. Yeah. Wow. I feel connected to it. That's, yeah. That's a strong message, a very beautiful one. Yeah. That's ma many, it's a many good reflection to yeah, do. Many North American uh, tribes, people, they, they talk about the wolf as the teacher. Yeah. The wolf is the teacher. It teaches us how to live in balance with, mm. with our surrounding and with ourselves. Yeah. I, I usually ask all of my guests to name three things on what someone can do to live more sustainable. And that can mean anything, like it doesn't have to be the, the, the ones that people normally talk about. Number one, what would you like to uh, recommend people to do to live more sustainable? Maybe what I shared before, like the one thing would be really to start connecting with the natural world. Mm. Start to, to build a feeling of I'm not separated, that you are in connection with something else than what is created in human society. Mm. And to start to build that connection of heart, because that is going to change so many things. And it's going to be like a catalyst for all the other necessary change we as people need to do mm. if you want to stay alive on this planet. And number two. <laughs> <laughs> well, many things can be said about the food, of course. I mean, like, I would say try as much as possible to be, to, to take steps towards more self-sufficiency. Like, mm. if you have access to land in any way, then you can grow your own food and try to grow it in a way that is uh, as much in balance with the, the ecosystem around as possible. Yeah. Like, to, to get as much as your food locally as you can and create it where you are. Yeah. And in ways like that go according to permaculture principles, like that you are giving back to the land at the same time, you're not just taking, yeah. that you are helping to build up the soils, for instance. You're, you're living in a way that would technically last forever because you're also building up the resilience of the soil and the ecosystem around as you're producing mm. your food. Yeah. So like to take, start taking steps towards that in whatever way you can, grow whatever you can yourself and try to find food directly and locally and in ways that have been more sustainable. Mm. I think that's a really good start. 
And number three? Yeah, I think actually to connect more with people. Mm. Nice. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> one big reason why so many people are dedicated to destroying the earth is because they have unmet needs in themselves, as I see it. They have so many needs that are unmet that they try to, you know, they try to feed themselves by buying things and consuming mm. things and getting more and more money or whatever you think. Like, oh, I, I will feel satisfied as long as I have this and if I have that and yeah. if I have that car and that fancy house and then I will be satisfied, you know. Yeah. But we have to come back to what are our needs as biological beings? It's not only the connectedness with nature that we've lost, but it's also the connectedness with each other as people. Mm. Because as a biological species, we're supposed to live in tribes. Yeah. We're supposed to live in groups. So to live in the Western society, it's very, we're very isolated from each other. Mm. And especially in these times now. Yeah, especially in these times. Because <laughs> like, now it's more now like, took physical you shouldn't form. see, yeah, you know, you shouldn't see <laughs> people, they say, in yeah. coronavirus times. Oh, yeah. But what yeah. We, we can't come away from that. Mm. Like, we still need each other. Yeah. Like, to build close, closer relationships with our mm. communities around us. And I know it's very hard, maybe in a, in a city, for instance, because there's so much people around. Mm. But to like start f finding connectedness yeah. and also be closer to each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's very contradictive when, uh, when we're in this time. But there but, is so uh, much we can do, like sharing uh, a smile, listening to someone when they talk, yeah, saying exactly. hi on the street. Whatever yeah. is, is, is going to also yeah. be a start to, and eventually I hope we can be more close to each other again. Yeah. And, and within our closest communities to, to have a, like that we actually touch each other. We're not yeah. so afraid of, you know, all this, yeah. you know, that we actually, because our bodies have needs, like we need to be mm. touched by each other. We need to feel Touching that we are in belonging with each other. Yeah. It's like, you know, what's happening with monkeys, if they don't groom each other, mm. then, then they die. Yeah. Simply because they, they die from depression because when no one is, you know, grooming them and looking for lice in their fur, yeah. then they are not part of the group anymore. Yeah. So, it's the same so with that. We need die. we need touch, yeah, yeah, definitely. So to find what is our actual human needs, mm. not the fake needs, the yeah. real needs, and it can be connected. And the real needs are connection mm. in whatever form with other people, with nature, with ourselves. Mm. So connection is the key word, I would say. Beautiful, <laughs> really beautiful. Thank you. I wanted to ask like this, the, the last question for today. For for someone who feels a longing for reconnecting with the earth and nature and the wild uh, and wants to spend more time there, but has uh, a fear uh, for going out, because I know many people that, uh, that want to get that connection, but still has a, a bit of anxiety and fear towards the wild and doesn't really feel safe. What would you say to them to help them in their mm. process? Yeah, I mean, like, of course, we feel a lot of fear for the unknown, especially when we haven't had the opportunity to build a relation with the natural world from the beginning. But it is so deeply in, in, our, in us, in our ancestral memory, in our biological um, being to connect with the wild nature, the so to say, that place where we actually belong. Mm. So it is more about like seeing all these feelings that come up because they are fears that, because there are parts of ourselves that we have neglected that we have to start yeah. looking at. So that is what's happening when we come in nature because we have to look at all these things. And a lot of the fears are also based in stories that we are told. Mm. Like we're learning from the system around us oh this is dangerous and oh nature is full of wild animals and it's like so it's dirty or there's uh, insects and it's like yeah, it's cold and it's and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all these things that yeah. we're, we're being taught mm. so it's like it's about uh, unschooling ourselves in that sense mm. we go out in nature to really to see like this is not necessarily the truth mm. this is something I have learned so it's like to change uh, what you have learned in a way mm. and a good start is simply to go out in nature 
maybe you don't have to push yourself all over your no. comfort zone at once, but take a little step towards something that is feels a little bit scary. Mm. You don't have to cross all the borders, but to yeah. challenge yourself a little bit, yeah. just a little bit, and see what happens with you when you do. Yeah. And to come into this understanding that the nature around me is just like me. Mm. For instance, people are afraid of wild animals to see like, to start to build that connection in their minds. Like you can think about it. The more you think about that, this is actually another living being just like me. We are not separated. Mm. Then you can start to understand them more. Yeah. And your fear will eventually grow away. Yeah. You're mentally training yourself as well yeah. for meeting. Exactly. That experience, yeah. Because usually the fears are stories that are running mm. in our minds. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andres, for spending this time with me and letting me come here to Jana and this beautiful forest. Thank you for it's coming. It's been a pleasure to have you with me on, on this uh, podcast. I'm very grateful. And um, I would like to say to you who listen as well that please go and check him out. <laughs> <laughs> Andres uh, Fogelviskaren uh, yeah, on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook. Fa- Facebook. Facebook it is. I will eventually end up on YouTube also, but it's yeah. I saw you. One step, you had one a, step at a time. Yeah, beautiful. But I saw you had one video up on uh, on YouTube. Yeah, it's like I'm not so much in the technology world, you know. So I'm I'm very <laughs> slow when it comes to <laughs> reaching out there. That's right. Eventually, it's gonna happen. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much again, and thank you all for listening. See you next time.